Welcome to the Wilfred Podcast. Here, you'll expand your knowledge and understanding on a wide range of business, entrepreneurial, and self-development skills in just 30 minutes or less. I'm your host, Grant Kitchingman. Introducing the Wilfred Podcast. Welcome to the season two premiere. Thanks for joining me for the second season. I'm lucky to have you here and appreciate it more than you know. That said, maybe you could dab me up that little bit more and follow the podcast on whatever service you use and leave a cute little comment too. Like I said last season, we have listeners all across the globe and I have no idea why, but I'm thankful. Steve McKnight is a qualified chartered accountant and holds a Bachelor of Business in Accounting from RMIT University. After a decade-long career in accounting, he became a professional investor where he used his accounting and investing knowledge to purchase 130 properties in three and a half years. His most successful book, aptly named From Zero to 130 Properties in 3.5 Years, was published in 2003 and has helped over 160,000 people better understand property investment. Steve has recently turned his attention to land conservation and ecosystems management endeavours. He and his team have now planted more than 300,000 trees on previously cleared land. The book for this week, Money Magnet, How to Attract and Keep a Fortune that Counts, like many of which we have previously covered, is a great all-rounder with regards to better understanding money and the many facets of wealth building. Before I start, I'll note that the book is littered with what McKnight calls Steveisms, which are astute and succinct statements, all of which are as helpful as they are impactful. In case this is the first time you are joining us, as per the intro, I deconstruct a new book every week by reading, highlighting, reflecting upon, and writing a script to do so, all of which is done within one week. Not only that, but you can also listen to each episode of Wilfred in the same amount of time it takes you to get to work in the morning. As always, I've divided the content from this book into three equal sections. These will include Part 1, Savings, Part 2, Budgeting for the Better, and part three, retirement. Without further ado, let's jump into the content. Part one, savings. Savings are an asset, but they are not an investment. What are savings? The act of saving is easy to define. Britannica defines saving as the process of setting aside a portion of income for future use. Therefore, savings could be defined as the fruits of that labor, the money itself which has been set aside for the future in mind. The best thing about saving is that it's not backed by the subjectivity of emotion. It's mathematical, cold, and calculated, as long as it's done correctly. That's exactly why financial professionals focus on the numbers. Numbers are all that matter. For example, many people make the mistake of following a plan which has worked for their friends or family, putting a specific dollar amount away. This won't work unless your living conditions and salary are exactly the same. What does work is focusing on percentages as these can be applied in the same fashion for everyone. The dollar amount saved will be different for low, medium and high income earners, but the percentage amounts can be applied for each of them. I agree emphatically with Steve as he believes in keeping plans to save simple and therefore easy to follow. Quote, 
The more cumbersome a budget is, the more administratively difficult it is to implement, and the harder it will be to stick to it. I have already discussed this in the ninth episode of Season 1, The Barefoot Investor, by Scott Pate. Like Steve, Scott also recommends using simplistic budgeting strategies in order to save money, the details of which were discussed in that episode of Wilfred. Although both share similar strategies, the percentages they recommend are slightly different, the details of which will be explained further. Steve's strategies for budgeting are 1. The 80-20 rule, where you're allowed to spend 80% so long as you save 20%. 2. The 70-20-10 rule, in which 70% is allocated to spending, 20% to savings, and 10% to slashing debt. Either strategy will work, as both are just as effective as they are simple. However, the reason for which most people fail is that they do not do the small things correctly. They leave their saving strategies and goals to chance. The chance that they will spend slightly less money on chai lattes. The chance that they will not need to pay for fuel that week. The chance that their partner won't ask to go to the fancy restaurant for date night. Steve has a firm stance on this, writing... Don't rely on chance when you can depend on maths. A small amount regularly saved and invested at a reasonable return over a long period of time is a sure bet. It's also important to understand that saving money is simply a means to an end, rather than a get-rich scheme. As Steve confirms, while you need savings to be wealthy, you won't get wealthy from savings. You must deploy your capital, not store it. To further quote McKnight, savings are better viewed as a store of wealth rather than a source of wealth because 1. Savings earn no capital appreciation and 2. The interest return on savings is extremely low and possibly even negative after adjusting for income tax and inflation. So what should you do with your savings? Well, this is a discussion with which you should have a professional. Most financial planners provide a zero-cost, obligation-free consultation meeting in which they can better understand your goals and aspirations. If you are one of those people, like me, who initially saved 20% of take-home pay every fortnight in order to purchase a property, good. You have a concrete and attainable goal for which you should strive. As Steve mentions, however, you may wish to direct 10% of your take-home pay towards slashing your debts. If you are debt-free, you are one of very few Australians in this position, mind you, You may prefer to instead save this money in a separate account, aiming to save either 3 or 6 months as an emergency fund. McKnight writes, If you are wondering how much you should aim to hold as savings reserves, according to one article, which is Parker 2021, a case stash of 6 months living expenses is prudent. Other sources call for approximately 3 months living expenses in savings. Therefore, it may be beneficial to first aim for 3 months, then... Once you meet this milestone, aim for six. Some people are also of the opinion that savings can earn the money in interest. Yes, you can indeed earn interest on savings, but this is marginal after inflation is considered. Not only that, but you'll also be taxed on these as well, come tax time. Therefore, your money might be better off in the long term if you were to instead invest this in the stock market. I won't talk too much on this, as I have done so at length in previous episodes. But some basic and important points are 1. Don't be impatient. Most people don't give their investment enough time to bear fruit. Trading and investing are different. Trading is short term, investing is obviously not. 
The historical average yearly return on investment in the Australian Stock Exchange, or ASX, is around 9.8% per annum, second only to the return of US shares of 11.8%. This also means that your money needs to remain invested for at least a year to enable this growth. 2. Therefore, as Steve says, when it comes to investing, the power of time trumps amount and return. The better you work compounding, the better compounding will work. Basically, one who invests small amounts of money regularly for many more years will do much better than a person who invests twice as much in half the time. This is, of course, thanks to the power of compound interest. 3. I mentioned inflation earlier. If you aren't aware, inflation basically means that the purchasing power of your money is decreasing year to year, as the costs of goods and services also increase. I know that many people's brains, like my own, work best in coffees. If you were to have $5,000 saved up in your coffee fund here in 2023, at $5 per cup, you'd be able to buy 1,000 coffees, enough for two or three a day for a year if you'd like. If you were to keep the money in the account until 2033, only spending the interest, leaving the initial $5,000, takeaway coffee prices might have risen to around $9.65. This means that you're able to only purchase 518 coffees. 4. Don't forget as well that we haven't even considered the fact that these savings have also been taxed. So not only has your salary been reduced by 30% or so, but what's left has been reducing by about 2% per annum, as the cost of goods and services are also increasing. Rough, huh? That will do for now, so as not to repeat myself like a tired old parrot. Again, if you'd like a deep dive into the stock market, I'd highly recommend listening to episode 4 from last season. For now, I'll leave you with a quote from Steve to linger in your minds. Savings are better viewed as a store of wealth, rather than a source of wealth. That is, you won't get rich by saving, but you won't get rich without saving. The most important rule of wealth creation is to spend less than you earn and invest the surplus. Don't forget that trading and investing are not the same. Don't become scared or aggravated that your stock isn't performing after weeks, months, or within the year. I myself am a long-term investor. Let me entice you to keep your money invested long-term with this. According to Vanguard 2021, the 30-year return for Australian listed shares is 9.7% per annum. And with that, that concludes part one. Part two, allowance, not budgets. The more you do of what you've done, the more you'll get of what you've got. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Complicated budgets don't work. That's why Scott Pape has sold so many copies of The Barefoot Investor. His money management strategies and principles are simple, executable and widely applicable. They are based on percentages rather than dollar amounts. Most importantly, Scott has a strong vision of helping as many people reclaim their financial footing as possible. This is our focus in this part of the discussion. Vision. Quote, it is hard for the body to achieve what the mind can't see. So before starting a budget, cast a vision. How do you stay hungry even if you're not? How do you keep pushing forward when the pain of doing so is greater than the pain of stopping? The answer is a compelling long-term vision. Having a compelling vision will keep you hungry for making progress. Whew, that was a long one. Therefore, as Steve says, your budget is only as strong as your reason for budgeting.
McKnight also shares the secret to budgeting, which is, instead of making it restrictive, make it empowering. Restrictive means you want to spend, but your nasty budget says you can't. Empowering means measuring and appreciating your progress, which confirms you're on the right track. In other words, if your saving goals are to be attained, we must first change our perspective on budgets. They aren't designed to negatively affect your manner of living, your happiness, or your freedom. They are designed for you to forego frivolous spending, splurging, or irresponsible wastage in the short term, in order for you to have the power to live better in the future. Quote, If you're struggling to accumulate wealth, then before trying to find new and better ways to funnel more money in, first identify and plug the leaks at the bottom of your money bucket. In other words, trees will bear the sweetest fruit in the highest number if planted in the best soil. Enough said. Now, some real talk. Budgets aren't easy to adhere to. If they were, we would all be in better financial shape than we are right now. Remember that it might be more fitting to consider your budget as more of an allowance in order to change your negative mentality on budgeting. Additionally, don't be disheartened if you start a budget, stick to it for a while, then fall off. You certainly aren't alone, so don't give up. I would recommend that you read Barefoot Investor, which I have alluded to multiple times in this episode. Or at the very least, listen to episode 9 of Wilfred. Again, budgets aren't easy to adhere to, so make them simple. As Steve writes, it will be difficult to change behaviour because addictions are habitual, not intellectual. Conversely, and more positively, this also means that once your budget, or allowance, is structured, set, and adhered to for a while, it too will become automated, and later, habitual. This too is an idea confirmed by Scott Pape in his writings. Okay, okay, enough barefoot fangirling, I promise. Lastly, the power of financial competency. This is the main reason for which I started this podcast. I wanted to share my newfound knowledge and understanding after reading dozens of finance books. Moreover, I wanted to make this passage of information widespread and easy to digest. I also knew that most people didn't have time to do what I was doing and read a book a week. Hence, Wilfred was in its infancy. I want to spread the knowledge of all the leading authors within the finance and self-improvement genre. Quote, Just as low levels of literacy and numeracy hobble a person's career and social prospects, so too does a lack of financial literacy impact a person's chances of attracting and keeping wealth. So let's get learning. I am of the fixed opinion that Atomic Habits by James Clear is the all-time best book on the topic of building positive habits. I am reminded of his writings and ideas every time anyone even mentions the word. It's the reason that this book is the first of which I deconstructed. I don't particularly like the word reviewed. I was also reminded of his writings and ideas when I came across this quote from McKnight. Turn your do's into doings and your doings into dones. This later became known as do, doing, done. You can't be doing if you have nothing to do, and you can't be done if you're not doing. Confused? Let's look at each one of these three steps individually. 1. Do. Your intentions. Get them out of your head and down on paper so you can be purposeful about planning and implementing them. 2. Doing. Your actions. The work in progress to implement your intentions. And three, done. Your deeds. The finished product. An idea implemented to conclusion and fruition. 
You may be asking, how do these ideas remind you of atomic habits? Easy, my friend. The structure of this mantra constitutes the same ideas raised in Clear's writings. Be purposeful, know your direction, use your time wisely, let your actions reflect your aim. Tell yourself you are the person you wish to be. They all apply. These are mantras to which we should all adhere. Part 3. Retirement. Time is your friend until it's your enemy. I've said many times on this podcast that change does not come without change. If we are to make improvements to our financial standing, we must make changes to the way we stand. Many people look at money all wrong. They focus too much on money itself. Money is an inanimate object, stationary, lifeless, motionless. Therefore, it cannot be convinced to come into our lives. More malleable and adaptable is our attitude towards money. McKnight writes, It is our attitude towards money, rather than money itself, that will determine whether it's a blessing or a burden in our lives and the lives of others. How you use your money is how you'll be known and remembered. Many people talk about leaving a legacy, but when questioned as to how this will manifest itself, or rather how they will accomplish this, an answer goes wanting. Of course, it's notable to want to leave a positive impact on the world, or at least on your family, but a goal without a plan is such a waste. Regardless, let's not jump too far ahead. If you are to be in a position to leave a lovely inheritance for your loved ones after you perish, you will need to accrue a nice nest egg. That nest egg will first need to nourish you and your partner for 10, 20 or 30 years before your time comes. So how will you ensure that there is some left? That, of course, begs the first question. Quote, Will my employer's superannuation contributions be enough to allow me to live a comfortable, self-sufficient life in retirement? The answer is no. Most organisations only pay 9.5% of your salary into your super account. This is a measly number, especially when your super fund is scraping around 1% off the top. This will not allow you to, as Steve says, live a comfortable, self-sufficient life in retirement. This of course negates our plan to leave something for our loved ones or a charitable organisation after we perish. So what should you do about it? If you have listened to my prior episodes, you will of course know the answer already, and that is to increase your super contributions to 15%. Quote, if you do what everyone else does, then you'll get what everyone else has. So how much should you save, invest, and accrue in superannuation if you are to live a lavish lifestyle in retirement? Easy, if you envision a high level of living standard, i.e. want to play golf, eat at nice restaurants, go out for coffee every morning, spoil the grandchildren, things of that nature, you'll need to save around $1 million as a couple. Try not to think of Dr. Evil when I say that, or $745,000 as a single Pringle by the time you reach retirement. If you desire a less lavish lifestyle, yet still want to have an enjoyable life, you should aim for around $400,000 as a couple or $300,000 as a single. I mentioned earlier that you should up your super contributions to 15% and Steve explains why. 76.5% of retired men and 78.7% of retired women in Australia received the age pension. 60% of those on the age pension were on the maximum rate, making it their main source of income. Surely that's a shocking statistic. More than three quarters of retirees need government welfare, 
and only two or so in 10 are self-sufficient. In case you didn't know, the age pension is designed to provide income support to older Australians who need it, a quote from the Department of Social Services, ND. It is therefore a meagre form of income survival, not an income supplement. Sorry for another huge quote, but I couldn't put that any better. McKnight also states that the age pension is best seen as your fallback position if all else fails, not your go-to plan to aspire to. I also spoke to the power of investing earlier in this episode, to which Steve very much attests. He gives the reader, quote, something to aim for, which is $1,250,000. This amount invested at an average of 8% return will deliver $100,000 per annum, which will place you among the richest retirees in the country. This number seems unreachable. $1 million is simply a dream to some people. But the truth is, if you maintain a steady job from the age of, let's say, 21, all the way up to retirement, and adhere to the principle of upping your super contributions to 15%, this is very much attainable, especially if you're also steadily investing between 5 and 10% of your take-home pay in the stock market. This plan, in its essence, may seem boring, dull, and obviously therefore not as sexy as those influencers on TikTok stating they made millions on crypto. But the truth is that it works. It has for so many others, not just those that got in early. <coughs> crypto. <coughs> and it can work and will work for you. McKnight states further, there is nothing free about financial freedom. It comes at the cost of sacrifice and delayed gratification. Well, that's it for this episode of Wilfred. What I learned from reading Money Magnet, How to Attract and Keep a Fortune That Counts by Steve McKnight, an educational discourse. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For those of you joining in for the first time, every week I read and highlight a new finance or self-improvement book, write a script, record and release a new episode of Wilfred. I focus on releasing a condensed yet detailed breakdown of the book so you don't have to read it. You can get a fair summary of the book for free and the time it takes you to get to work. That's my motivation and reasoning behind releasing this podcast. If you enjoy it and would like to give back, All that I ask is you follow the podcast, rate the pod five stars, and if you like, leave a cheeky little comment. Following will ensure that you don't miss another episode of the podcast and, full disclosure, will help me a bunch in growing my platform. Wherever you choose to consume this content, on Spotify or elsewhere, thanks so much for the support. I hope this is extended to my next one. Until next time, stay driven. communicating with nature uh, uh, hey, uh, uh, tree if if one of you falls and there's no one around do, do you make a noise are you kidding Scott fell last week he hasn't shut up about it since sure stand there and bitch but would any of you take the time to help me ooh ooh I'm playing the world's smallest violin Scott